Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. Normally we do this earlier in the day, but but uh, I have an actual real working professional that's on the uh, on, with me today, and I'm I'm so excited. I've been trying for a very very long time to have a real qualified, honest to goodness therapist come on because gosh knows I need all the therapy I can get. But she is she's extraordinary in in the work that she does. She has a new book that's out that we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about her and uh, and. Her, her name is Annabelle Bugatti, but I'm just going to call her Dr. Bell because I can say that a lot better. Doctor, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. It's a beautiful day. And actually, it's not. It's snowing up here. Um, wow. <laughs> we're going to get our... <laughs> I live in Seattle, so we're going to get our annual two inches of snow uh, over overnight and tomorrow. So that'll oh, be shut down everybody and shut down the community because we're all we're all crappy drivers um but it's you know what do you do what do you do we just we just make it so let's talk about i wanted to talk about you and and what you do um um you you're a therapist and you do marriage counseling and you do singles counseling. you you do it all and uh um you work in vegas so i imagine you've got lots of business yes absolutely <laughs> Do you do you teach gambling uh, uh, abstinence and that kind of thing too? Get people away from that. If only you know, Vegas is a very unique environment to do therapy, and I think part of it is because of the culture where vices are so catered to. And I mean, they put neon signs and advertise to pull into anybody's vice. You name it, it's welcome here. It doesn't matter what age you are. So there's lots of ways for people to get into trouble here, and they do. And, you know, also because of the gambling and the addiction culture, it's very much an instant gratification. And that runs right into therapy, too, because much of authentic change in therapy is not about it's not something that can happen instantaneously. So a lot of people, you know, want in coming some um, they come in wanting some kind of a quick fix. And it's like, well, it's just not realistic, you know? So you're constantly fighting these uphill struggles within the culture here that nobody knows anything about except the people that live here. It's it's like living on an island, except we're surrounded by land, a landlocked island. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, this is America. We want everything overnight. We want it to be instant yeah. gratification and all that kind of good stuff. Let's it's talk about you. How did you get started in this? I know this is your passion, but yeah. how did you... Did you, early on when you were a kid, did you say, I'm going to grow up and be a therapist? No, actually, I wanted to be an actress, which is really funny. There you um, go. And actually, all the reasons that I was passionate about acting, um, I've actually been able to get through being a therapist, which, you know, whenever you watch a really powerful movie, the actor really does a good job. They just, they sort of reach in and touch your heart, touch your soul, touch your psyche in some way that that delves you into all of this deep intrapsychic introspection. And, you know, you're, you're just, you walk away and you're touched deeply, you're moved deeply, your, your life is being radically reevaluated. And so that was something that I wanted to help create for people. And, you know, I had a love of psychology and, you know, going to college, there were so many things that I was interested in. And it was a matter of finding the one thing where you could suffer through all the other classes that you didn't want to put up with to study all the way. So, you know, in psychology, it was something I always kept coming back to. And then it wasn't until after um, my own experience with divorce that um, I really became passionate about because, you know, I grew up in a religious household and divorce wasn't something that was a part of our value system. So it took a lot of courage for me to be able to make a decision that was right for me and grappling with how that intersected with my value system. And so I kind of turned that into an opportunity to help others. It's like now, you know, I had all these beliefs going into it. Now I've been to the other side of the fence. So if I can help other people learn from what I've gone through, then maybe I'll have turned this into something good. So 
that's kind of how I got into it. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is that I, I'm really excited about passionate people that are interested in helping humanity and helping people get from where they are, which is not very good in most cases, to where they'd love to be and and to help them through it. It's got to be rewarding at times when it's successful, is it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're walking with people through some of their darkest moments, through some of their deepest uh, secrets, most shameful parts, and you're helping those parts heal. And that is incredibly rewarding. When you watch somebody, you know, go from deflated and just their life crumbling apart um, to walking out of there with their head held high, their heart repaired, they're successful, they're not only giving love, but they're finally recognizing that they're worthy of love and they're accepting it and their life is totally transformed. It is such an amazing feeling and it's a total blessing too. I learn so much from my clients as much as they learn from me. So oh, that's that's mm -hmm. awesome. How do you get that I, I call it I call it people's stories. The stories that we tell ourselves that people have been telling us since we were little kids, which mm -hmm. is why sometimes we don't have very good self-esteem. And then how do you get people to change their story? Well, and that's that's a little bit of a complicated process, but the overview is quite simple. So it all comes back to attachment, which is really the, the essence of the counseling that I do with people and the book that I've written. So... Um, all life boils down to attachment, right? So attachment science is the essence of life. It is a science of human behavior, emotion regulation, and bonding. And basically the experiences we have as children, um, the metaphor I use is kind of like when you are building a house and you lay the foundation and you pour that cement, you know, for the, the cement foundation, you can't just start building the house on it right away while it's wet. It's highly impressionable. Anything you do to it while it's wet and hasn't fully set is going to leave a mark. And that's like our formative years in our household is those are our first relationships with other human beings. And those become our blueprints for other relationships in the world. So we tend to respond to others the way we were responded to, or we formulate these, these positions where we try to go completely opposite because it felt so terrible, but not everyone has that awareness. And so again, the way we were responded to also shapes how we view ourselves and how we view others in the world. So we're, we're constantly making sense of these things. So, you know, when bad things happen to you as a child or, and, and these bad things may not be as, as obvious as they are in some people's homes as they are in others. You know, some people didn't have abuse or neglect, but it can be just as simple as being rejected by a parent, being brushed aside, being neglected, which is very insidious. Um, because it, it's so subtle and people don't really recognize the far-reaching impacts of that. But it can be just as simple as, you know, watching your parents fight all the time and then, you know, observing like maybe the way dad responds to mom and then kind of viewing that as like, this is the way I need to be, is that dad's always shutting down mom. She doesn't have a voice. So if I want to be on dad's good side, I just need to go along. And so you kind of learn, you know, implicitly, sometimes explicitly, um, these messages about yourself, they start formulating. And, and so that can be internalized as how I feel and what I want isn't as important as just being, you know, pleasing to someone else so that they don't reject me. So, and sometimes the messages are, are very explicit. I've had people who've told me their parents have flat out said, you know, I wish you were never born and ouch, you know, that's, that's pretty hard, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it's not even the parents. It can be like the, the kids at school, the bullies who just tell you that you're worthless or, you know, they just get get it in their get it in their bonnet to go after you and they make your life misery. And, you know, you you get these messages from multiple sources as a child and all these go into that bucket to help you um, de like develop how you see yourself. And so part of it is recognizing where those come from and how those were born and being able to sit with the evidence, challenge that and challenge the evidence and build a new system where you start to expand that idea that, okay, maybe I am important. Maybe I can be imperfect and still be loved. Maybe I can have a voice and people aren't always gonna reject me and shut me down and say, no, what you want isn't important. You just need to shut up and go along with whatever I want, you know, so. 
<laughs> well, we don't want it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So now it, I'm a little older now, and and so I've been around, you know, families and family situations, my own family and others. Is everybody as dysfunctional as I think they are? Um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, I mean, everybody has their own brand of dysfunction. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with it. And I, I think there's actually a very real reason for that. Um, so you have, so the people that you're seeing now, so the younger generation, these are the product of the children who are children of the baby boomers. And so the baby boomers, you know, came out of the World War II, they were children of parents from the World War II era. And you know, their style of living everyday life was in survival mode. They weren't a very enlightened generation. Enlightenment was kind of a luxury that they didn't have time for. You know, they had to pay bills. There was wartime. It was a struggle as to how are we going to feed the family. And so they didn't think about happiness. That wasn't really an option. Like when you selected a job or selected a partner, you know, you find that people's reasons for marrying were similar to their job selection was economic survival. Is this person going to help me survive versus do they really make me happy? And am I in love with them? Sure. There's some chemistry and such, but you found so many people who were just getting in to ensure their survival and they didn't think about that. And so now as we've gotten less dependent on that survival, because everyday living has gotten easier People are more enlightened, they're more educated, they have more free time to think about happiness, and that becomes the bigger ingredient. And so that needs to factor in, but they're being taught how to have securely attached relationships by people who knew nothing about it, right? Who didn't have those skills, who were in survival mode. So they're teaching survivalist skills to an enlightened generation, and the two don't really come together. It's a completely different skill set. So people are just entering into relationships very unequipped. So now they're, you know, they're entering for love and they're being taught by people who entered into relationships for very, very different reasons. And they don't understand, like, why do you need to be happy? Why are these things an issue? Back in my day, you know, like, you know, it was such a struggle to have corn on Sunday and, you know, <laughs> you know things like that. So that, that's, that's, a really big reason why I think there's so much more dysfunction nowadays is just because people weren't taught how to have great relationships because that wasn't a, a necessary ingredient for relationships back in those times. And it certainly wasn't modeled in my household uh, because they, you know, and my, my, my dad has openly said when he was still with us that he openly said, well, you know, uh, love wasn't nearly as important back then. It was more along the lines of exactly what you said. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about survival and it's about um, she could cook and, and uh, she was willing to raise the kids and yeah. meant that I didn't have to. And so I could go do my own stuff. Let's let's uh, by the way, we're talking with uh, Dr. Bell, and I, I just love that. And let's let's get into your book a little bit and, and bring that out early so that folks can uh, um, can understand what it is. And it's using relationships. It's it's a uh, it's called Relentless Empathy, um, using relentless empathy in therapeutic relationships, connecting with challenging and difficult clients Technically, my book was written for um, anybody in the helping profession, the mental health field, whether you're a social worker, uh, you know, an addiction counselor, a pastoral counselor, a MFT, you know, a psychologist, whatever. But um, I've had a lot of people who aren't therapists read my book and they said they absolutely loved it and got a lot out of it. So, you know, bottom line is it's a manual on how to be in relationships with people that you find really difficult to have relationships with. Oh, <laughs> and that's, that's important because we're never not in relationship. And um, think about it like every other human being on the planet you're in a relationship with. Again, the, the type of situation is going to determine the degree and intensity of the relationship. Maybe it's just um, like a simple customer relationship where they're a customer of your business, but you still have that professional business relationship with them. It could be your neighbor. It could be the, the pastor at your church. It could be, you know, your mom or your dad or a romantic relationship or your coworker. So, I mean, and we all have people that come into our life that really challenge us and you know, feel like they make life really difficult. And, you know, as a therapist, it's, it's really important to 
master the skill of empathy. And, and yes, it's not only a feeling, it can, it's a skill that can be honed and taught. And it's essential because, you know, people who are difficult are most of the time the people who need the most empathy and love. And if we just kind of slap a label on them that says they're a personality disorder, which, you know, it drives me crazy is that a lot of therapists have gotten in this habit where now these diagnostic terms that were supposed to be helpful so that people could get the help and we know how to help them have now become terms of judgment, labels of judgment. And, you know, we label something personality disordered, which is just code for difficult. And then we like try to pass them off to somebody else. Like, I don't want to deal with them. Then they never end up getting help. And then they keep getting dumped in relationships or they're getting isolated because no one wants to be in a relationship and nobody will stick around long enough to help them recognize what's happening and, and why all of this is going on in their life. And so if you can find a shred of empathy for them, it'll be a lot easier to get close enough to them and create some kind of openness that they're willing to take in the information and hopefully change. And Plus, not all relationships you can cancel. And if you just cancel every relationship, then we'll just be alone. <laughs> so we're living in a cave somewhere all by yourself. Uh, you know, I don't think that in my entire life I have seen such and which is why I use the title uh, hate, division and fear. I have never seen the degree of hatred, division, fear of the other. You know, not wanting to get together, not believing that even within, uh, you know, we're supposed this is one country. We're supposed to be one tribe and we've split into a and it makes it very difficult. I have friends who are no longer friends because we had a deep seated political argument one time about what they believed, what I believed, and it made it impossible for us to continue. Are you finding that in 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 families, in relationships and in, in, all over the place? Never, never, ever before have I seen households turned apart from each other. I mean, I guess when you watch movies about um, the Civil War, you would see this where you have some family members fighting for the North and the South. And that's kind of what it's turning into. And is that what we want to have is a civil war where you have mother and son divided, where son's saying, I just can't come over to your house because you're this political affiliation or you voted for this person. I mean, that's literally what it's coming down to. And people are being fired from jobs because they might have posted some sort of political meme just as a joke, not even like an actual label as to, oh yeah, this is this is the tribe that I go with, you know? And so there there really isn't freedom anymore, which is really disappointing and scary all at the same time. And you know, and actually that's a chapter in my book. I talk about how to apply some so I teach people a little bit about the the skills that I use in therapy. And I talk about how to not only apply these to other people, but how to apply them to yourself, how to walk your talk. And it was because of an experience like what you're talking about that inspired it. I had a colleague and and therapists, I don't know what it is, just politics have gotten way, the hands have gotten way too deep into mental health. And that's really unfortunate because politics should not be determining mental health. Um, and so you have people just, you know, again, firing and doing all these things that are completely unethical. And so I actually had a colleague that we were commenting on a Facebook post. And, you know, some of these things, you try to let them slide by you. But every once in a while, there's that one you're like, I just I just can't not say something. I just I got to say something. And so I said something. And then my colleague is like, wait a second. Are you saying this? And then you can see it. Uh Oh, I'm in trouble. Here, Here it comes. comes. You yeah. know. And so we actually used our therapeutic skills because we're in the same model of counseling together. And we actually used our skills to work it out. And it was amazing, even though we still have completely different political affiliations. The whole point was that we were able to connect and see that at the at the very core of it, we both wanted the same things, even if we disagreed on how to get there. And again, it was because we used our skills of empathy and we're able to work our way through the conversation. And that's that's what it is, is, you know, people claim to be so tolerant, yet they're not. It's like and if you really want to check and see if you're tolerant, ask yourself, am I willing to be in relationship with and can I hold space for somebody that has a different point of view, especially when I vehemently disagree with that point of view? Right. 
That's really that's really hard. By the way, there's a guy by the name of Ron White. I always have to give this quote to him uh, because because he said it first, and that and that is. You can't fix stupid, Ron White. <laughs> yep, that you can't fix stupid. One one of his one of his favorite ones that that I've used in my life is uh, uh, I have the ability to remain. No, I have the right to remain silent. I just don't have the ability. And there there are times when you get into that political space and that political and somebody says something that in your frame of reference is so out there and so based in in fantasy land that it's hard it's just inflammatory it's not even it's not even like we're trying to see facts we're just outright attacking people and that never feels good it's like you know because i say this now you're jumping to all these horrible conclusions about who i am and and what i must believe in terms of humanity i mean that nobody wants to be thought of in that way right right so i have so how do you help people uh now you when you when you talk about empathy uh, describe your, your, what you mean by empathy a little bit more. So empathy is the ability to resonate with another person's experience um, in a deeper emotional level. It's not the same as sympathy, which is kind of like resonating with their experience, but from a more detached space. Like I get it, that feels bad, but I'm not really connected with you in that space. Whereas empathy, it's like I'm able to channel your experience through um, accessing anything even close to that experience in my own emotional memory system. And I'm able to channel what that feels like to go through that in a way that helps me be with you and connect with you. And empathy is always in service of other people. And it helps people be seen and really feel like you get them in the deepest sense. And I think empathy is very misunderstood because you have people walking around saying, I'm such an empath and I feel everything so deeply. And I'm, I'm like, okay, <laughs> being, being able to feel other people's emotions isn't quite the same as having empathy. Empathy is, is a tool. It's a skill more than a feeling of just, I can feel your emotions. It serves a function. The whole purpose of empathy is because it, turns on our caregiving system so that we turn towards another and offer them care. And that's how humanity gets along. So, I mean, and people don't realize this is actually wired into it. So this is why it's so essential when somebody is in pain or distress, not to look away, but to actually look at them. And they've shown that looking at them activates the mirror neurons in your brain, which are essential for empathy because it turns on your caregiving system so that you turn towards that person, offer care. So, you know, and you've probably been in situations where, you know, you've told somebody about an experience that felt really bad or you just went through something really bad and you wanted to tell a friend, but you didn't want to just hear like, oh, yeah, that, that sucks. You know, it's like, no, I want to know that you actually know what I'm going through. I know? want you to sympathize with me and, yeah, and, yeah. and be empathetic yeah. towards my situation because yeah. it really sucks. And I want you yeah. to agree with me. We, we can actually physically feel the difference between sympathy and empathy because because sympathy feels more like a oh, can be kind of patronizing sometimes like, oh, yeah, I really feel so bad for you, but I don't feel with you. And empathy is like, yeah, I know what that's like. I've been through that and or I've been through something really close to that. And I remember how bad that felt. So I can totally imagine what this was like. And that. Yeah, I totally get that. You can actually feel it in your body. This is why you'll have girlfriends, you know, they'll crawl up to their their honey and they'll tell them the story and they're just like, you know, oh, I kind of get that. And they're like, no, I don't really feel like you get it because they're not empathizing, you know? You're so guy. Give me yeah. something to eat and have a football game to watch and uh, we'll be fine. Yes. But so, you know, it's when you do get that empathy, your body knows the difference and it's like, okay, I can relax. I can let this go. Cause I feel like you actually get me. And then I feel connected to, and that's all I need to feel better. There's actually a science to it. It shows that our brain releases positive chemicals, you know, like you have serotonin, dopamine, you also have oxytocin, which is not a cuddle hormone. It's a bonding hormone. It's supposed to stimulate bonding. So, you know, when you get stressed, your body actually releases adrenaline, it releases cortisol 
And so when you get secure connection and empathy is a way to get that, your brain will actually start releasing the dopamine, the serotonin, the oxytocin, all of which will counteract the cortisol and the adrenaline. So it actually physically helps you to have that connection. So that's why it's so important. And again, why, why people can actually physiologically feel the difference. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Do you have uh, a lot of relationship people as in, as in romantic relationships, husband and wives that are going through, see, I was married for 24 years and the first year was great. And no, I'm kidding. Uh, it was, it was fine for a long time, but over time we kind of, uh, um, separated and went our separate ways even though we were still married until it got to the point where it was like why are we even here kind of thing and it does that happen a lot in in especially with people that disagree or they come from different religious backgrounds or different political parties and they does that in in your work are you able to save i guess my but are you able to save those folks from themselves Oh, yeah. And and look, it's not ethical for a therapist to tell you you should get divorced or break up. So if you have a therapist who is saying that, run. That's good. <laughs> That's good. They're, they're not supposed to be doing that. It's completely unethical. And yes, there are couples who, you know, they talk about compatibility issues. We're just so different. Differences should not be a reason to not be in a relationship. It's about whether or not we can get connected. And when we can't get connected, then those differences become amplified and they become stronger and then they feed into the disconnection versus when a couple is really connected, those differences don't matter and they're not relationship killers. And they're able to come together and negotiate those spaces in a way that leaves both feel people feeling really good. So yeah, you can definitely save those couples. Oh, that, that's awesome. Now, do you do a lot of couples therapy when they're both in the same room at the same time? Absolutely. That's how I prefer to do couples therapy is with both people <laughs> of the couple in the room. <laughs> Can't that get a little dicey at times? Yes. Oh, I've been in some interesting situations and, you know, there's times where I've had to like put the pillow in between the couple. So I'm like, hey, sometimes I feel like I wish I had a whistle where I could blow it like stop. <laughs> Time out. Let's do a yeah. TV timeout and, and go have a cup of coffee or something. Yes. Yes. So there, there are moments, but, you know, luckily I, I use emotionally focused therapy, which has been rigorously studied and there's actually outcome research on it. So we've studied the actual model and we know how it works and why it works. And that's important to me because, you know, before I was a therapist, I went through marriage counseling and I had some pretty terrible marriage counselors, to be quite honest. And I thought, I don't want to give my couples anything like that. So it, it's a no brainer to me. Why don't you use the thing that's been tried and true and tested to be effective and it's most effective. So I use it. I'm super highly trained in it. I'm a continuous student of it because again, first and foremost, I want to be a great therapist and help my couples. So I continue to learn and grow and I, I know how to handle those situations, so I'm not afraid. <laughs> now, what, what is this uh, uh, system that you were just talking about? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. Emotionally focused therapy. It was pioneered by Dr. Sue Johnson. Um, she's done some work with the Gottmans, and it's funny because even John Gottman, most people know John Gottman, the Gottman's name. They're pretty famous, but um, John Gottman actually says that Sue is the best couples therapist in the world. So what okay. does that tell you? <laughs> She must have saved their marriage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the Gottmans are great researchers, but their model of counseling isn't really rooted in anything. It's just kind of randomly strung together. So, And they haven't actually done research on their interventions themselves to figure out if they're actually working. So the, they've had like one or two very, very basic studies, and all they've proven is the thing that we already know that they teach us in grad school, that some therapy is better than no therapy, and that's all the outcome they've gotten. <laughs> Whereas EFT, emotionally focused therapy, we actually know what about it is working and why it's working and how it's working, because we've just studied it that much, and we've studied it on multiple populations, soldiers with PTSD, people with eating disorders, heart conditions, couples from all walks of life, LGBTQ, Christian couples, you know, you name it, it's there for you. So I, I love it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Because, and you're, you're also, by the way, very good at it from what, everything that I've read and, and everything that I've, of all the, all the reviews that I've looked at, you, you're, you're, you're pretty darn good at what you do. Well, thank you. I try really hard. It's, like I said, I don't want to give my couples 
terrible marriage counseling. I know what that's like to go through. And oh man, some of the experiences I sat through, we had a therapist who, who came into our house. This was when I lived in New York, who came into our house. And um, so it's very rare in the West Coast to have a therapist that enters your home, but it's more common in the East Coast, I guess. So this therapist came into our, well, our apartment and basically just sat there and watched us tear each other apart for an hour and a half. And then was like, you guys just need to be positive. Just think positive, hold on to the positive memories. And I just was like, are you kidding me? Like there's nothing positive in this room right now. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, I told, I told my dear old 90 year old mother that, that you were going to come on the show today. Oh. And she, and she says, well, I just hope that what she's going to say is no matter what, you stay together and eventually it'll work out just fine. And I said, Mom, what if he's beating you? Uh, and she said, well, that, that might be a little bit different. And I said, so, so, you know, we want people get married for a reason because they supposedly love each other. I, I went to high school with. Well, I'll be honest that people don't always get married for that reason. And uh, to be honest. <laughs> People don't do a good job at vetting their partners. And th this is a thing that, okay, I'm just going to be really honest. It really sucks. So people want to blame the institution of marriage as being broken. And it's marriage. There is nothing wrong with marriage. It is not broken. It is broken people getting into marriage thinking it's going to be a magic pill or a magic wand that's going to be a cure-all that they don't have to do any work. And suddenly now they sign on a dotted line and I don't know, some magical veil encompasses them and all their problems disappear. And it's just not how it works, you know? So it's not marriage's fault. It's, you know, that you didn't do the work. You didn't really vet your partner. You weren't in a healthy place and, and your partner wasn't in a healthy place. And you kind of just jumped into it thinking, oh, it'll get better without actually changing any of your ways. And it didn't get better as things tend, you know, it's the basic laws of motion and an object in motion will stay in motion until acted on by an outside force. So bad habits will tend to stay in place until acted on by an outside force. It says, oh, maybe you should change this. What, what do you say? Cause I, I had several female friends from high school that says, Oh, I know he's kind of abrasive now, but, but when we get married, he'll settle down and I'm going to be able to change. It's him. the biggest lie that women tell themselves. It's such a bill of goods. And why do we keep selling this to ourselves and each other? People do not change when they get married. You look at who, and actually sometimes people do. So there it's, it's two ways, either people, are exactly who they are and they don't change or people change dramatically. So either way, you have to be able to look at the person who's right in front of you and love them for exactly them and see, be able to see adequately and accurately all of their worst parts. And those worst parts have to be lovable too. And if those worst parts are total deal breakers and you're just thinking, well, those will change, will get better. No, 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 no. Unless they're like actively pursuing therapy, rigorously trying to change those, no, it's not going to change. So if you can't love that person as they are, assuming that they may never change, then, you know, you're not really getting married for the right reasons. So you got to stop telling yourself, you know, that they're going to settle down as they get married because, no, who they are is who they're going to be unless they decide to change. And some people decide that they're happy with who they are and there's nothing wrong with it and they dig in and they don't change. And then you sometimes you have partners who are, very interested in growth and personal development. So again, this is another thing is that we don't, um, and so in religious terms, there's this phrase uh, about being equally yoked. And, you know, when I was a kid that they used to use that as like, don't marry people from other religions, but it is so much more complex than that. And I find that people don't really find partners that are equally yoked. So you have one person who's totally not into self-development and they like who they are, even though they may have some pretty bad habits. <laughs> and then you have people who are like addicted to self-help and they keep growing and then they outgrow their partner. You know, well, you didn't even start out on equal playing fields. You guys weren't equally well-matched right in that place. Or you have someone who, you know, isn't very intellectual and doesn't like to have deep conversations. And you have someone who is very intellectual and, and likes to be intellectually stimulated. And they're like, let's have a deep conversation. And they're like, I don't know what to say, <laughs> you know, again, not equally yoked, you know, so you got to stop lying to yourself and convincing yourself that these things are going to change. 
my favorite one is I married them for their potential. <laughs> oh my gosh, potential. Okay, potential. Doesn't mean that they're ever going to amount to anything from that potential. You know, again, they have to be able to see that potential in themselves and want to do something about it. And this can't come from you, but so many people do this. I hear it more from women, but I've actually, I actually heard it from a man today. <laughs> and I was like, no, you, you know, again, you're just saying, I see the good parts, what they could be, even though they're not that person. And I'm not really loving and accepting who they are. I'm like fantasizing about who they could be and, and hoping that I'm going to push them into becoming that person. That's what they do is they try to push them into it. They get resentful, burned out. And the other person gets resentful because they don't feel really loved and accepted. And they're annoyed that they're constantly being pushed into being some other way. Don't marry someone for their potential. Stop lying to yourself. <laughs> I, I tell you, you know, by, by the way, we're talking with uh, Dr. Bell. She is out of Vegas. She is a, a wonderful therapist. I'm, I'm having a thoroughly good time talking with you. It's, it, this is a lot of fun. I do, I, I do have to ask you, though, when you look at the grand scheme of things, why is it that we, in order to get a driver's license, now maybe you've heard this before, in order to get a driver's license, you have got to go to class, you've got to study a little bit, you've got to prove that you can drive, you've got to prove that you can operate safely when you're going down the road, yet we hand out marriage licenses and children like candy, it's like, I don't know what you're going to do with this thing, but here you go, you made it, now here you go, make it, make it work. I, should we be working to learn more and to work with each other more and to and to and to have more classes involved with that stuff so that people well, don't make these mistakes? Absolutely, I do believe that education is great. Although, you know, I've I've done premarital counseling with. Um, early 20s, late teens, couples, you know, I say like they're fresh off the funny farm and I get it because I was 20 and a half when I got married to my high school sweetheart and that didn't work out so well. And nobody could have told me these things because I hadn't lived enough life and had enough experience to realize the merit of the things that they were saying. So I was like, oh, it'll be fine and whatever. Yeah, I knew nothing. And so no matter how much you try to teach them these skills, they've just not had enough life experience to be able to really know themselves in that place or know how they're going to be shaped or how the relationship is going to be impacted or what they're going to do. So that's kind of a drawback. I do still think it's important, but I really think people should be going to their own therapy and working on how just learning how to have better relationships. And we need to stop promoting these anti-attachment, anti-relationship BS that goes around the internet and because all they're doing is creating more harm and damage. And it's already been proven by science like in all different, you have evolutionary science, you have attachment science, you have neurological science, brain science that is showing, proving, demonstrating that that attachment and bonding is actually neurologically, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally hardwired into the survival part of our brain. It's part of our survival functioning as a human being. And so to try to you know promote this anti-attachment violates the core of our human code. And you wonder why there's so much bad stuff happening. You know, we're supposed to be teaching people how to get together, not saying cancel relationships and just get away and cut people off when they don't serve you. It's how about you actually turn and and share with them the impact they're having and and tell them it's hurtful and learn how to sculpt those relationships because some people will never be told that they're being hurtful and they'll never get a clue and then they'll never change, of course, <laughs> you know, or how to take in negative feedback or challenging feedback. And yeah, it's hard. You got to suck up your pride, but you know, nobody's perfect. And as soon as you recognize you don't walk on water and you're willing to hear <laughs> that feedback, then you can actually do something about it and become the person you want to be. But denying it is not going to help you become that person. And then you're just going to become unhealthy and then you're going to join a relationship as an unhealthy person and then have an unhealthy relationship and then go on to blame marriage as the problem. <laughs> and it continues and it goes and it continues and it continues. What do you tell women? And I hate to pick on women, but uh, I know so little about them. I want to learn more. Uh, what do you do? What do you do for the, for the gal who keeps dating the same guy in a different suit? Well, again, go to therapy and recognize the pattern what is it you're looking for? 
and you know what's the common denominator other than just you most of the time it's some kind of an attachment need what i find often is if they're like serial dating like abusive people or the same type of bad guy it's a lot of times it's because they've had some kind of trauma as a child and this is really unfortunate but this is part of how trauma works when you're a kid when you have a lot of trauma your body actually becomes more oriented towards the chaos even though you may know that it's bad and you don't like it, it's also like the devil you know. It's more familiar and therefore more comfortable because you know how to survive in it. And because it was so much the norm that your body actually has no neurological, no template, no emotional template for what safe and secure attachment looks like. So I see this in therapy all the time where it's like, people keep gravitating to, towards those types of relationships because it's just what they know, even though they don't like it. But then when you have them try to take in and internalize, you know, love or care, it's like they, they go like totally bajiggity and, and they don't know. I know my friend. Is that a technical term? Yeah. Bajiggity. <laughs> I got some, I got some flack on that the other day by my uh, significant other. And, and that was, that was really funny. He's like, what's bajiggity? <laughs> It's a word. I hear it. So, you know, but they do like they get, you know, when you try to help them take in that secure attachment, it's like they have no idea what to do with it. It's so foreign and so alien to them that they just have no map. They they just don't know what to do with it. And it's actually really sad in a lot of ways. But again, this won't be corrected unless they're willing to say, hmm, maybe there's a problem with me picking the same bad person over, you know, in different suits over and over again. Maybe I should go to a therapist and figure out what's going on here. I would, because it's so, it's so sad to watch. I have female friends that that it's like, no, you're not going to do that again. You're not pleased. Don't don't do that again because it's going to end badly. And it's like, oh no, this, he's different. I'll change him. It's like, oh god, you you've just had two of the top three or whatever it is. There and then is is part of the promise that I'll change him. It's kind of like um, it's almost like a proof of your own value. If I'm really good enough, if my love is good enough, then I'm gonna be able to change them. I'm gonna be able to love this out of them. And then when it doesn't happen, then you end up again blaming yourself because you assign that responsibility to yourself in the first place rather than recognizing it's not you or the quality of your love. It's actually some dysfunction going on with them, but you're not willing to own that and accept it and say, oh, maybe they need to go to therapy and get work. And maybe I shouldn't be in that relationship with that drunk guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And two, you got to look at where you're picking up people. You know, if you want to find a healthy partner, shopping for them in a bar or a strip club is probably not going to be the ideal place to find a guy. But sorry, it's Vegas. And yes, there's strip clubs everywhere. But, you know, so many times people are like, yeah, I met him at a bar. Hmm. I wonder about that. Hmm. Yep, yep. But... When you met, that's that's a great foot to start off on. Yeah, my uh, my uh, youngest son, who was living with his mom at the time after we broke up, he kept telling me that she she used to come home and throw up because the guy she was dating at that uh, after after me apparently had had an alcohol problem that she tried to keep up with him, and so she would go home and throw up. Anyway, but that's a problem, you know, when you have to violate your own boundaries or do unhealthy things to keep up with a partner. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and not. Look, you know, there's this other thing that I have to say is that, you know, that rule of thumb, when your relationship isn't working, don't add a baby. <laughs> like a lot of people try to say, oh, a baby will make it better. I find that people try this by opening their relationship and thinking, yeah, like this relationship is complicated. So let's add another person to this relationship and have it be open. So now it's like a, an open relationship where we're both able to see other people. And that's going to make this relationship better. Hmm. Yeah. How's that baby thing working on for you? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because um, I have a I have a friend and uh, they, they, my and actually it's one of my sons and he was dating a girl and apparently I did not know this but apparently on on Facebook and and uh, uh, Twitter and some other you can you can actually take naked pictures of yourself and there are the groups that that kind of. Uh, delve in that kind of, and it's kind of like a dark kind of, so he got on Facebook by accident one time and saw her, um, in a place that she had, he'd never been and stuff. So it, it's, it, it, 
we live in really weird times, don't oh, we? Oh, yes. Apparently, people can pay to be in porn movies. So rather than being paid, if you want that experience, you can pay to be in it. And so, you know, I've had clients come in where they've discovered that their partner was a secret porn star and they've been married for like 15 years. And yeah, this is the thing about secrets is they somehow manage to always find their way out. You know, I, I, I'm an old sales guy and I was just thinking to myself, now there's a hell of a salesman. I'm going to put you in a porn movie. I'm not going to pay you. As a matter of fact, you're going to pay me. I know, be- right? <laughs> well, if you have the sex addicts going on there, people who, again, have low self-esteem and they find their value by having other people dote on them and say, you're so wonderful and, you know, all this stuff. And that's how they get their value. So they go into, you know, Freud called this sublimation where you find some kind of socially acceptable way to get that need met. So, you know, like if you like to fight, you're going to go into karate or, you know, whatever. So, you know, if you need that validation, you're going to go into some place where people are going to be looking at you and giving you all types of validation and praise and, you know, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> we are a complex and unusual animal, aren't we? Yes. Yes. But, we but tend to complicate things that are actually very simple. We do. We do. We've been talking with Dr. Bell, you know, you've worked all day today and then you come here and you do this to, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, but hold up your book one more time. Cause I, and we can pick that up at Amazon. Is that right? Absolutely. Sorry, the reflection of my light is on here. But thank you so much for having me on the show. And you can absolutely pick up my book on Amazon. Again, it's called Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients. And uh, you can just look up. I know if you go on Amazon, you can type in Relentless Empathy and it'll come up with my book. It'll be like the second thing down. So or you can look for Annabelle Bugatti. And just find me Bugatti like the car. No, I'm not related because I certainly wouldn't be a therapist if I had that fortune. So, <laughs> no, but by the way, uh, because of the COVID and the way that you're working now, I assume you're working a lot more remotely. Can you take clients from all over the country and do it on Zoom? Um, n- well, okay, so that's a little bit complex. So I do see some clients on on telehealth. And I'm actually one of the few therapists who will see people in person, but you know, again, with the screening process. But um, actually, the way the law is written is that it defines that therapy is taking place where the client is physically located. So I cannot see a client who is in Texas, for example, if I'm not licensed in Texas. So even though we have the ability, you actually have to be licensed. Now with COVID, you know, they've lifted some restrictions or they've made it easier because some people have vacation homes in other states and they've been quarantining there. So, you know, you can you have to contact those state boards and find out what their particulars are. California is like super, super strict. But some states, it's like as long as you're not, you know, if you're not going to get licensed there, you can't pick up clients that live there forever. But if your client goes there and for continuity care, blah, 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 it can be okay. But usually they want you to register, pay a fee or something. So yeah, technically you're not allowed to cross state lines unless you're licensed in that other state where the client, where the client is. So. And I wouldn't want you to do anything that even remotely might cause somebody to say, Hey, you know what? Let's sue them. <laughs> so, Cause that does happen. <laughs> from time to time. That wouldn't be fun. Cause we are a sue happy culture. <laughs> We are. I got sued for $50,000 and spent two years uh, fighting it, and it was dismissed without or without prejudice, which means there was no merit to it. But she just did it because she was pissed off. Uh, that's what people do, right? They, they don't know how to handle their anger constructively, and so they try to, like, lash out at people and make their lives miserable. Yeah, absolutely. Or reason to go to therapy. Deal with your <laughs> anger. That's that's right. I want to thank you for coming on the show again. And and what I like to do is is at the end of the show, I want to give you of the forum, your soapbox, whatever you'd like to tell our audience what you need them to hear. Oh goodness! Well, well, thank you again so much for having me on your show. I so appreciate being a part of this, and it's such a blessing to be able to talk to all of you guys tonight. And I guess maybe the main thing to let people know is that you know really no nobody 
nobody or no relationship is beyond help if they are willing, both willing to actually work on it. I tell my couples all the time, the only problem that cannot be solved is the one you're unwilling to talk about and deal with. So it doesn't matter how different you feel that you are, there's still a way to bring the two of you together as long as there's a willingness. So, you know, it may feel like there's no hope, but, you know, call, call an EFT therapist, uh, emotionally focused therapy, you can Google it. Uh, there's a, almost a center in every state um, or there's a community of therapists. So you can look it up or you can go to iceft.com, I-C-E-E-F-T.com and you can um, type in your zip code and they're internationally. So you can find them in almost every country. Um, find a therapist and whether you're a family, an individual, a couple, they're, you know, they're there for you and there's plenty of plenty of hope left. So and if if you're just interested and curious, read my book. You can visit my website, drbugatti.com, uh, soon to be drbell.com because we're buying the domain. But, um, you know, even if you're not a therapist, you know, it's a great read. It's easy. I'm somebody who doesn't like to read books. I write them, but I don't really like to read books, mostly because I don't have a lot of time. So I like books that you can skim and pull out some useful nuggets. And that's how I wrote this book. So um, I think you can get some because everybody has like an angry person in their life or um, an addict. They've come across addicts, you know, um, so there's there's something in there for everybody, even if you're not a therapist. I'm pretty sure you can still get something really good out of it and uh, use it for your relationship. So um, I hope what I said today has been helpful for everyone. And I just thank you for tuning in and uh, that you guys keep watching this podcast. And you can also find me on YouTube. I have a channel called We Heart Therapy. You can also find it wherever uh, podcasts are found. Um, some of my... Um, Video series are geared towards therapists, but I've had a lot of clients get into them and they really love them. And I just released a video called Let's Talk About Sex, where we're talking about sex and why talking about sex is so um, hard to talk about. So there's lots of videos on there for the general public. So again, We Heart Therapy on YouTube. And uh, thanks again for having me. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> I have to tell you, my uh, uh, I, I did a, a little series with a gal, and we were talking about uh, um, um, kinky stuff and and a little bit about sex and that kind of. It, it came to number one. Uh, suddenly, it was like if you put adults only next to anything, it will it will you know it'll get a lot of hits. And anyway, so what I but I did want to say before we before we went, I want to honor your time, and so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. But I love the way you say my couples because that means that you're taking ownership in their couples, you're taking ownership in their success, and I just think that's just fabulous. So thank I think, you. thank you. I'm I'm really connected to my couples. They're really great people, and they're really courageous, and it's it's really a blessing and an honor to walk with them through that journey. So, if you're one of my couples listening, thank you. <laughs> If they're not now, they will be, because yeah. uh, this uh, this will be up on YouTube. It'll be on, on my Independence Report, and uh, people can listen to it. And it's been it's been a wonderful interview. So uh, I need to close it out. But if you'll stay with me for after we close it out, I'll be right back. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.